a prophetic word. And uh, I want to go to Nahum, the uh, second chapter. Uh, Nahum is in the Old Testament. Trust me, it's in there. And, um, and I want to, um, and I want to read this. Um, I, I got this, um, many, many years ago, but I have it also, uh, last night it came. This morning it came again very fervently, and I want to read this out. Many, because of the delay in this pandemic or, um, uh, scam, uh, scamdemic, whatever you want to call it, um, this, this thing that's been going around. Um, <clears throat> Jesus, thank you. He says this, the one who scatters has come up against you. All right, the one who scatters has come up against you. This is a prophetic word. I'll get into the teaching in a second. I'm not going to teach here. I'm just going to share just a brief thing of what the Lord told me. He says, man the fortress, watch the road, Strengthen your back, summon all your strength, for the Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel, even though devastators have devastated them and destroyed their vine branches. Now, here we hear what I'm saying, and I'm going to say this very quickly, and this is what the Lord showed me. Uh, here in California and other states uh, of the Union, uh, the devastators have come to destroy um, what God was was doing. Uh, and, and trying to shut the church up. They were trying to um, silence worship. Uh, they were trying to scatter the believers abroad. They did it in the early centuries uh, of, of Christianity by persecution through violence. Now they're trying to do it through legislation uh, because somebody hurt them in their past. Okay, I know the governor, uh, I don't know this, but um, I kind of feel like uh, that, that, that the Lord showed me that the governor of California, the mayor of Los Angeles, uh, have been really devastated by, by naysayers and, and can I say Bible thumpers who tried to push religion on them rather than uh, trying to share Jesus with them. And, and I believe that they have tried to legislate the elimination of the body of Christ, but you can't do it. You may have been able to Stop them here in California. I don't know about other states, but here in California, you may have tried to stop them from meeting in a building. And remember, a building is just a building. Okay. But the body of Christ is a vibrant organism that is, that is, uh, is people. It's not a building. It's not a religious system. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he's telling the church, He's telling the people of God, the true believers, to man the fortress, watch the road, stand your post, wield your sword, he told me. He says, man the fortress, watch the road, strengthen your back, and summon all your strength. For the Lord will restore, not you, but the Lord will restore the splendor, even though the devastators have come and devastated them and destroyed their vine branches, the places where you seemed like you were going to grow or the places that you felt like there was, um, yeah, the, the, uh, the places where, where you feel like, um, it's, it's cursed to go into these places. God is restoring all of it. Uh, I want to go back to the valley of dry bones. 
Ezekiel 37, and this is the prophetic word. This is not the teaching yet. I have, I have an incredible, uh, you know, Lord gave me a word for this morning. But this is, um, uh, this is the thing. God says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? All right. The devastators have come and destroyed, can I say, tried to destroy him, but the true believers. And he looks at, he looks at uh, Ezekiel and he says, can these bones live? And then Ezekiel cops out and chickens out and he says, Lord, you know. And then he prophesies to these dry bones to come forth. He prophesies. And then all of a sudden the bones started to connect. The sinew started to come back. The muscle started to come back. The ligament started to come back. The, the flesh started to come back. The blood system uh, started to come back. And they raised up a mighty army. A mighty army. And God is saying, man your post. Man the fortress, watch the road, stand alert and watch what God does. Jehoshaphat in, in Second Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat was standing on the mountain and he set the worship team forward. And he sent the worship team and he said, hey, listen, sing and worship and watch God. And what did God do? He, he confused the enemy. He confused the Syrians. And all they sang was, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And God sent uh, uh, a, a uh, um, chaos into their camp and they destroyed themselves. God did it. Gideon had 300 men and one of the enemy, one of the men of the enemy had a dream. And, and in the dream, the interpretation of the dream, this is nothing that they, they were destroyed. And it was nothing less than Gideon. That was their interpretation of that dream. And they weren't even believers. <laughs> but God is raising us up. Man your post. Take your sword. Wield your sword. Man the fortress. Watch the road and watch. And God's going and God is restoring all of this. That's a promise. God is restoring the splendor again. In this world, he says in John, you will have uh, tribulation or pressures or anxieties. But to be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Okay. Glory to God. All right. Uh, the, the, the word that the Lord gave me this morning, or actually late last night, was this word. And, uh, and, and that a lot of people feel, um, a lot of people feel that, that, uh, that God is, um, aloof to our situations, that God is, uh, just watching from heaven and things will just take their toll or just to, to things will just happen. And I want to tell you that that's not the case. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 for verse 15, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Okay. Romans chapter 12 verse 15. Weep with those who weep. You're struggling right now. Many people are struggling right now emotionally, uh, spiritually, uh, physically. They're just struggling. And, 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 and we don't want to be aloof either. But God is not aloof. I want to go to Hebrews chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter four, which by the way is a tremendous book, um, a tremendous chapter. There's a couple of things I want to point out in this chapter. 
Um, At the beginning of the chapter, he says, be diligent to enter into his rest. Okay, now God has offered to us the same promise of entering into uh, his realm of resting in confident faith. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we embrace the fullness of that promise, not to fail to experience it. For we have heard the good news of deliverance just as they did, and they didn't join their faith with the word. Instead, they heard what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. For those of us who believe, faith activates the promise, and we experience the realm of confident rest. Okay? So we experience the realm through faith. Now, I want to go to verse 15. Actually, let's start from verse 14. So then, we must cling in faith to all we know to be true. For we have a magnificent high priest. Um, the Aramaic uses a word for a priest that is not of the uh, Levitical order. You know, the, the, you know, when you hear of priests in the Bible, it's talking about the Levitical order. But here it doesn't talk about a Levitical order. Um, so it's, 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 uh, uh, it's somebody who stands between. And he says that we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands humanity for as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are and conquered sin. Or one version says, without sin. So now we come freely and boldly to where the love is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. He understands it. He sympathizes with us in our frailty. One version says that uh, he is intimately acquainted with our infirmities. In other words, he's not aloof in it. What he is, is he's powerful enough and he sympathizes with us. Okay, and I'm, I'm going to talk about the uh, some of these things about Jesus. And in John, uh, John chapter 11, verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible says, Jesus wept. He's standing at the tomb of Lazarus and he says, Jesus wept wept. He wept at the thing. So don't think that God does not care about your situation. God is not aloof in this. God is not a distant God who doesn't care about you. God is not a distant God who doesn't care about you. You know, and, and, I, and I was thinking, we were talking about Jarius yesterday. And, and I gotta tell you, one of the things about Jarius that, that, that stirs my heart is that I don't see Jesus being aloof in this or just being stoic in his attitude toward Jarius, who, whose daughter is dying. I believe he, he's very empathetic and he, and he's like, oh, and grieving in his heart. 
when that woman touched the uh, tassel of his of his prayer shawl or as of his uh, um, uh, tallit, he 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 felt her infirmity. He felt empathy for her. That's not what stirred him to heal her, but he felt that empathy for her. The thing that stirs God is faith, not empathy. Because if you think about it. Uh, if he felt bad for everything that everybody that was discouraged or anything, Haiti would be the, would be the richest country in the world. The thing that stirs him is faith. And, but Jesus was very, very empathetic. When Peter couldn't, or Simon at the time, when, when Simon and Andrew were fishing all night and they caught nothing. Jesus is standing on, you know, it says, hey, can I use your boat? Jesus empathized and sympathized with Simon and said, go out and we'll make a catch. When, 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 when Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times have I must forgive my brother? Up to seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. Whether that means 77, 77 times or, um, or whether it means 490 times, I don't know that answer. But I do know that it's more than seven. Jesus sympathizes with the people that we need to forgive. He sympathizes with you, but he also sympathizes with them, regardless of who's right. God is not interested in who's right. God is interested in you. God doesn't take sides in issues. He takes over. Can I say it nicely? Is that uh, it's his way or the highway? I stepped on somebody's toe there. <laughs> now you guys know that I'm divorced and and all. My dad told me a couple things on my wedding day. He said, son, you're only going to have to remember two things the rest of your life. And I said, okay. And he said, the first thing is you can count on one hand the amount of times you'll be right the rest of your life. And then he said, the second thing is cast iron skillets hurt. And if you forget the first thing, just remember the second one. (laughs) And then refer back to the first one. And he's right. He was right. In my 34 years of marriage, I could count on one hand the amount of times I was right. Many people feel like God sits on a throne, stroking his white beard. You know, he's got this really long beard. He has a stick in his hand, ready to beat us up if we make a mistake. That's a religion view of God. God is a relationship. Christianity is a relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, not a bunch of do's and don'ts. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. And God is continually molding us into his image. And he sympathizes with all the things that we go through. You're struggling financially, God sympathizes with it. It's not that he doesn't do anything about it. He's sympathizing with it. And, you know, and and I'm convinced of this. There are many times God told people to give me money uh, into my, pour pour money into the ministry, in my ministry especially. And um, 
and they just didn't do it for whatever reason. It's not a big deal. That's between them and God. I don't know who they are. God will never interfere with free will. All he wants is for you to gaze at him. Never take your eyes off of him. To gaze into his eyes and come to him. He says, come to me, Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Hear this. You will find rest for your souls. He sympathizes with all of your needs. He understands them. He doesn't push you away. He embraces you. I remember when my children were little, they would skin their knee or they would get hurt and I would embrace them and I would just hold them. How much more the Heavenly Father? I'm telling you this because I love you and I want you to enter into the place where you experience the embrace of God, where you experience um, his, his, uh, his empathy, his sympathy in our weakness, in our frailties. He understands it all. That's why he says that his strength is perfected in our weakness. When the, when the widow, her only son was dead, there was a funeral procession and Jesus walked by and ruined the funeral procession by raising the kid from the dead. He sympathized with the mother. And he healed the son because he could. He felt Jairus's pain when he was, when, when they were delayed in getting to the house and the servant came and said, don't bother the teacher. Your daughter is dead. He sympathized. He sympathized with the Roman centurion who said, my servant is at the point of death, but you know, uh, would you heal him? And he said, I will go and heal him. But the, he said, don't, you don't have to go. I'm not worthy for you to come, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he sympathized with his mother, who didn't have anybody to take care of her. So he appointed John. He says, Mother, behold your son. John, behold your mother. And he gave John. Why? Because I believe that John understood something in the spirit of Jesus' heart that Jesus wanted to give to his mother. is so good if you can understand i see people crying a lot i remember when my mother died she died of cancer but her she had a dementia as well and the last look that i had of my mother before uh, it was a while before she died she looked at me and she knew that she knew me from somewhere, but she couldn't put her finger on it who I was. She looked at me and my younger brother, 
look back at me. I know you guys from somewhere, but I don't know who you are. That's the last memory I have for my mother. And then I wept. When she passed away, I went to the funeral. And I wept for her. In 2015, my dad was passing away of cancer. He had cancer all over his body, bone cancer, liver cancer. He had lungs, all that. And he was in pain. And I remember the two weeks that I spent with him. You know, we would have some conversations together, cleared up a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of stuff. And at that time, he knew that my family was going through issues. My my wife and I were going through issues. And we had been, like my wife and I, we had issues um, for years. I don't understand all of the issues. I don't understand, uh, very rarely would she ever communicate them to me or that I would ever hear them. I, I know that she probably tried. But my dad and I, we were talking one day, and my, my dad looked me in the eyes, and he said, this is like one of the last times I, met, I saw him before he passed. And he said to me, son, I'm proud of you. That's the first time my dad ever said, I'm proud of you. My whole life, I tried to make my dad proud. And the first time he said to me, I'm proud of you. Many people, he, he said this, many would have given up, but you pressed on and you kept moving forward. I'm proud of you. And I hugged him and that was, and that was the end of that. And a couple months later, I, I had to fly back to Seattle and, and a couple months later, he passed away. But I'll never forget those last words. And to think, for me to have thought that God didn't care about that moment is flat out stupid. God was there in the midst of that place. My father's in heaven right now. My father's in heaven right now. And to a fault, I'm, I'm like, you know, I would say to a fault, I, I never give up. And, you know, I, I get beat up a lot and people say things and it's what happens when you're public, um, you know, and you're around. People say things and people do things and a lot of misunderstandings. And um, people don't hear the whole stories and stuff, and it's no big deal. Every one of your moments, that's right, every one of your moments, God is in the midst of it, and God's there. And he feels. And every one of those pains, every one of those hurts, every one of those, those things that you go through, every one of those um, things that you deal with in your life, that aren't meant to be there. He nailed them to the cross. So don't think of God as some God who's out there in the middle of the universe somewhere. He's not. He's right here, right now, and he's touching you.
So be diligent to enter his rest. I want to read that scripture again. We can be diligent. We can be, um, from Hebrews chapter 4. Now God has offered to us the same promise of entering into his realm of resting in confident faith. Be competent. Hope. The word hope is not, gosh, I hope so, or like, I wish. But hope is a confidence, an expectation of something good about to happen. And the same thing here with faith, that it is a confident faith, and it's a place of rest. It's not a place of inactivity. It's a place of rest. Come to me, all who are burdened down, weighed down, and I will give you rest. And you can rest because you have you have a king who stands in your place, who sympathizes and empathizes with every one of your frailties. One of, one of my favorite prayers, and I believe gets answered every time, my favorite prayer is, God help me! Peter prayed it sinking. Jesus, help me. And he does. So, Father, tonight, or this morning, whatever time you're watching, I ask you to come in your mighty power and in your glory. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit right now. Let the name of Jesus be lifted up. I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. And I ask you, Father, just to pour out. Help us to find that confident rest. That rest and confident faith. I pray that you would let us see you during our deepest crises. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for your goodness. Let the fire of God pour out today. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you, God, so much. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just hold on to your need. Give it to him and let him rest in it because God is powerful, he's amazing, and he's awesome. I just feel to linger in his presence right now for just a minute.